Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Aw, thanks guys. Thanks. How are we doing today? Good, good, good. All right. How many of you were disappointed that we didn't have like a whole production with like the palms coming up and down in the middle of worship or something like that, you know? My old church, we had the play. Someone, you know, had a teenager dressed as Jesus, you know, uh, in one of those like two people inside of a costume, donkeys, you know, is riding on that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe next year. <laughs> maybe next year. All right. Well, um, I, I, uh, I feel like I have a prophetic word for you guys today. Um, Hooray. This, this half excited, this half not sure. That's okay. I appreciate your, your, your reservedness. Um, so I want to uh, frame, frame this uh, correctly. So I know we've been doing a lot of uh, standing and sitting uh, for a bit here, but uh, I'm going to ask you everyone to stand up one more time real quick here. I know. I apologize. It's good for the knees. <laughs> there we go. Awesome. All right. I want to just uh, c- conduct a very quick survey of the room. Um, So, if you have been following Jesus for less than one year, I just want you to sit down. Less than one year, uh, sit down. Okay? That's what I figured. All right. If you have been following Jesus for less than five years, I want you to sit down. That's what I figured. If you've been following Jesus for less than 10 years, I want you to sit down. Maybe a few of you. <laughs> now some quick math in your head. <laughs> now we're, we're going to keep going for a second because I, I think this is important. But I want to point out, do you know that you're a father or a mother of the faith? <laughs> I don't know if you knew that. But if you've known, been following Jesus for 10 years, you have been following Jesus for significantly more time than the people he appointed as apostles after he left. Significantly more time than when those men uh, and women, depending on who you talk to, uh, <laughs> we'll run away quickly from that one. Um, but the... Uh, <laughs> uh, were appointed as the people to perpetuate the kingdom of God on the earth, uh, commissioned to lead as mothers and fathers. After knowing and following Jesus for three years, uh, you know some of them maybe knew him more more of his life, but uh, five years is already significant, or ten years is even significantly more. Yeah. So I don't know if you know, but you are a mother or a father of this faith. If you have been following Jesus for less than twenty years, uh, go ahead and sit down. I know. It's okay. No second-class citizens here. If you have been following Jesus for less than 30 years, sit down. Wow. All right. If you have been following Jesus for less than 40 years, go ahead and sit down. This is where I have to sit. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I was... (laughs) All right. All right, if you have been following Jesus for less than, what was that? Uh, yeah, 40 is less than 50 years. Go ahead and sit down. Oof. I just want you to take a look at the people that are standing up right now for at least a second. Yes. Wow. There is some, 
There is some power standing before you right now. And we'll, we'll see how far we get here. If you've been following Jesus for less than 60 years, please sit down. Less than 60 years. Wow, wow, wow. Holy smokes. If you have been following for Jesus for less than 70 years, go ahead and sit down. Whoa! Oh, my goodness. Wow. Oh, you can go ahead and have a seat, Miss Tina. Oh, wow. Boy, I should have had a prize. I didn't know. <laughs> oh, I guess Jesus has the prize, you know, <laughs> or is the prize. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, first of all, that's amazing. <laughs> um, we don't always realize, but, but yet if you've known Jesus, you've been walking with him, the turnover in Scripture between uh, follower of Jesus and father or mother of the faith is quite short. Now, uh, after kind of looking at that and thinking about that for a second, I want to give you the first part of this, this word that I got. So I've been thinking about motherhood and fatherhood in... Um, in the kingdom for a little while now. Um, obviously, it's an important subject that I've, I've heard, taught, and thought about for, for a very long time. But in, in recent months, I've really just felt this emphasis. You know, sometimes those of you who are, who are uh, naturally sensitive to the Spirit, you know, sometimes you can feel, uh, get a sense of what the Lord's doing. You may not be able to put it into exact words or be able to say it, but kind of like when, you're, when you hear a song, and maybe you haven't heard that song before, but you can you can feel the need for a resolving note, or you can feel the, the need for where the, where the next note needs to go or the next measure of the, of the song needs to go. And you may not be able to you know, pick the exact one, but you know kind of where it needs to go. It's, it's sort of like that where I could feel this, this need for motherhood and fatherhood in the earth. And I could feel almost like uh, heaven building up uh, momentum to, to release something. there. Now, again, the Lord um, is infinite, and we are finite, so he does not change who, who he is. But in our limited experience of who he is, sometimes it feels like we are different things are highlighted or, or lifted. So at the same time, while the Lord does highlight certain things or emphasize certain things in certain seasons, he's also all about those things all the time. Does that, does that make sense? And so mother and fatherhood is always important in the kingdom. However, I do feel there's a special emphasis. And this was sort of punctuated um, uh, a little over a week ago when I woke up in the middle of the night and heard a prophetic word. And I woke up, just a series of sentences landed in my head as, as clear as day, and then I laid down and immediately fell back asleep. It was doesn't happen to me a lot, but it was that, that exact moment. So I'm going I'm to read this first part of you, and I will warn you ahead of time. This is kind of one of those adjusting sort of words. Um, used to call them correction sort of words. Now we call them adjustment because that sounds nicer. Um, and honestly, it's probably more accurate to, to what's going on. Um, but, uh, and I, I also want to encourage you. I feel like this is a word just as much for me as it is for, for any one of you um, because... Pretty much all of us are fathers and mothers in, in this faith. Um, so I sat up and I heard this. It is time to raise yourself up as mothers and fathers. If you do not want to be an enemy to God's purposes in your age, then you must learn to see the world as a father. It's a little bit intense. And I want to read this last part, but I want to build some context before I do, because I want you to hear it, hear it rightly. So when I had my first uh, 
first child, uh, I was uh, 25 years old, if my math is still good, um, after five kids. Uh, <laughs> and I was excited to become a father. Uh, I decided to become a father along with my uh, wife, um, who decided to become a mother, specifically. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but I, I can't think of another time or another circumstance where I felt that particular flavor of inadequacy. Now, it's interesting because I, I had what I would judge to be very good parents, a very good father, a very, very loving father, a father who, who uh, took what he was, was given and turned it into something even better to, to give to me as far as his experience and his... So I, I felt in many ways that I had been set up to, to feel very ready to be a father. But as I kind of approached the, the, the season of, of the, the great appearance of, of uh, the, the child, um, as prophesied by the great growing belly, um, the, <laughs> um, I, I could just feel this feeling of, of inadequacy, not necessarily because I'm of a character deficit per se, although I have plenty of those, not necessarily because of a lack of knowledge, but I'm sure I had plenty of that but because of a realization of the magnitude of what I was stepping into, like how big this thing is, how important this is, how important this relationship I'm about to step into is. And so again, the inadequacy was not necessarily because I lacked anything, even though I'm, I'm sure that I did. It was because of feeling the, the size of what this thing is. Um, and it made me start to have this conversation with the Lord of what does it mean to be a father? What does it mean to be a father? And I kind of flashed back to that as I sat up in the middle of the night and heard this first part of the word of what does it mean to learn to see the world as a father, to think as a father? Well, there's one story that comes to mind that it's a very, very well-trodden story, and so I don't want to, I don't want to, um, uh, to approach it in a redundant way. But uh, if, if you would, turn, turn with me to um, the book of Luke, and we're going to chapter 15, Luke chapter 15. So if you'd whip out your Bible or your digital Bible or a quick Google search, whatever, whatever suits you. Um, so this is the, uh, what is now mostly, most often called the parable of the lost son. Some people used to call it the parable of the prodigal son. Some, uh, some fun guys rebranded it to the, the parable of the prodigal father and uh, the, um, so this is a really well-known story. How many of you ever heard this, this, uh, this parable before? Raise your hands up high in the air. Awesome. Cool. Well, I'm going to read through it, and I, and I want us just to, we're going to go through it quickly, and then I just want to walk through this a little bit because I feel like it gives us a picture. Because if you look at the context of what's happening right here, um, the tax collectors and sinners and things like that are hanging out with Jesus. The, um, the Pharisees come up, and they are, they are, this is one of those moments where they're like, man, look at, look, at who, look at who Jesus is sitting down and eating with. Look at who he's hanging out with. You know, look, at, look at the kind of people he's hanging around. Jesus goes into a series of parables, one about the, the lost sheep leaving the 99 to go after the one, goes into the parable of the lost coin with, hey, if you, know, if you lost a valuable coin, you would get down and you know, dig everywhere, get the lamp, you know, and everyone would celebrate when that coin was found. And after that, he goes into the parable of the lost son. Now, mo when I was a kid anyway, 
uh, we, I was taught the parable of the, the lost son of the prodigal son from the perspective of the son. That man, you know, you were lost, Jesus found you, and he saved you from, from all of this, and he welcomed you back. That's a good, beautiful, wonderful reading of this parable. And every parable that Jesus has has multiple dimensions to it. Um, however, the context that it was presented in, at least in Luke, was... Um, it'd be a little bit more accurate, in my opinion, to view it from, not from the son's perspective, but instead from the father's perspective, because he was responding to the Pharisees being offended about who he was hanging out with. And so this was a story about how he is responding to these kind of people, how he, as a father, is seeing these people. That is where the adjustment is being made. Does that make sense? That's where the adjustment perspective is being made. So with that in the back of our mind, let's, uh, let's read this story. So Luke 15 st- starts in uh, verse 11. Jesus continued. He had just you know, finished up those first two parables. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. I like to picture this as like, you know, super like uh, Instagram influencer kind of thing. If we're going modern style, he like, he bought the Lamborghini. He got a tiger, you know, wild living. Tiger is out there in the front in the Lamborghini, you know. He's drove it to the Bahamas, you know, crashes the Lamborghini into the, into the ocean. You know, the whole, this is, this is like the thing, wild living. It's a little bit more PG than perhaps what was implied. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, so, Instagrammer. Uh, oh gosh, I've lost my place now. Okay, yes. So verse 14. Uh, so after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. Whoopsie daisy. And he began to be in need. Verse 15. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So he's so poor that he is like wanting to eat the, the nasty pig food that he's... That he's uh, dumping in here and just realizing like, oh man, this, this stinks. So verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, remember he prepared the speech earlier, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf, and, and because he has him back and, uh, sorry, he's killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. 
But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, didn't, didn't say the prostitutes earlier, but he's, he's perhaps guessing. I was giving him credit, Tiger and Lamborghini. Anyway, um, <clears throat> comes home, you kill the fetid calf for him. Uh, verse 31, my son, the father said, You're, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. <clears throat> it's a great story. It's amazing. It's a beautiful picture, really, of, of the gospel in, in so many ways. This wonderful encapsulation. There's a, there's a reason this story is so well-trod. It's just because it's, it's just such a beautiful encapsulation. Um, now, I, I talk about this a lot because I, I grew up in church. And out of curiosity, how many of you grew up in church just to some extent or another? Again, majority of you. What can happen is when you've read a verse or had a verse taught to you again and again and again and again, you can get kind of a rut in your mind where, okay, this means this, and so every time I hear this, I always hear it this way every single time. Now, this can cause problems when, you know, a particular passage or, or parable or part of Scripture, maybe uh, there's more than one interpretation, maybe there's one, maybe more than one application, or maybe there's different ways to, to look at that Scripture, but also, it can limit our ability to see the dimension of, of what uh, the Lord is trying to communicate in any one of those given things. So I, I do this a lot, and it's, it's a thing that takes practice. But trying to review these stories, review these moments, review these parables as if I had never heard them ever before. And kind of look at them from that perspective. And as I heard this prophetic word in the middle of, of the night, this was the story that immediately came to mind because to me, this is one of the, the cleanest encapsulations of, of Jesus showing what it looks like to be a father in his kingdom. Does that make sense? Now there's three principal characters in this story. We have younger son, older son, and father, right? There's a servant in there as well and there may or may not be a prostitute, but the... <laughs> principal characters are, and there might be a tiger in my version, but the, the principal characters, again, are the young son, the older son, and the father. And to me, I view these as almost three different archetypes. And I think, and I've, and I've heard it taught lots of different ways. I've heard it taught mainly from the son's perspective about how, what God has saved us from, how he's accepting of us, how he receives us regardless of what our history is. And again, in those teachings, you'll often hear some of the cultural context that, that this son going to this father and saying, hey, I want my part of the inheritance was a pretty big insult. It was saying, you have no value to me relationally. You are only valuable to me in the money that you provide towards me. So I would like to end being your son, end that contract and get paid what's owed to me by that contract so that I can go and do what I would like. It'd be a very, very harsh statement. That's, that's why the son has this attitude of coming back of like, hey, I'm, I, I am not your son anymore because he had basically relinquished his, his, his right to be a son at that point. Um, and, but again, this, the father is there waiting for him and welcoming him back. And it's, you know, it's a beautiful picture there. I've heard it taught from the perspective of the older brother that maybe some of us who have been in the church for a, a long time, we have that view of like, well, gosh, I've been working in the fields the whole time. I've been doing what I was supposed to do. I've been following this. And then you promote this person. You celebrate this person. You, you celebrate this person who is proven to have poor character. You know, you, you promote this person. You welcome this person back who has squandered everything that I have protected, you know, with, with, with my hands and with my, with my heart. And, you know, that, that's a, there's a valuable lesson there of not, of making sure that we are understanding the, the, the nature of the father that we are serving. And I would, I would like to suggest 
that in many ways, this is actually also a picture of what our journey can often look like as we mature from sons into fathers in our journey with the Lord. Now I'm using, because this story is about a son and a father, I'm mainly using the term son and father, but I want you to hear this as both sons and daughters and mothers and fathers. Does that, does that make sense? Can we do that? Okay. Um, so in, uh, in psychology, when they describe um, your, uh, certain aspects of your emotional development, they, this is a very broad generalization here, but as a child, you learn how to recognize your needs, value your needs, express your needs, and fulfill your needs, and get your needs fulfilled by your environment. Now, this, is ne this necessarily creates a circumstance where you are a little bit self-centered, you know? And if, I don't know if you've ever met a child before, a little bit self-centered, you know, if we're being honest. They, they think about themselves, they think about what they want, they think about what they need. They may or may not consider the needs of other people around them, and that's, that's something that we work on. But part of growing up healthy is recognizing, oh, I have needs, I care about them, I, want, I, want to, I need to get them fulfilled, I need to find a place where those needs get fulfilled. And that's the journey, in some ways, of this son, is I have this want, I have this desire, I have these needs, I'm going to and I'm gonna cash out and go get them, you know. Um, goes get them, realized that he needed something bigger than that, returns to his father, humbles himself, and, you know, be, uh, is able to um, just step back into that relationship, that thing that he really needed from the beginning. Um, and so when you're a child, you're learning how to be responsible for yourself. When you become an adult, you're learning how to be responsible for a family. You're learning that you have needs, but other people have needs too. It's one of the biggest uh, growth moments in when I got married and then when I became a father is learning how to manage that I have needs, but also my wife has needs, and now this little baby has needs, many of which involve me not sleeping very much. Um, <laughs> and so... If, learning how, if being a child is learning how to value your needs and express your needs and take care, get those needs taken care of, then learning to become an adult is learning how to be responsible for a family, for an environment, for other people. And then in psychology, they describe as you move from that stage from, from child to adult slash parent into grandparent, you instead have an even broader view, can learn how to be responsible for a culture for an environment, for the trajectory of a culture. You can see history and how it's changed over the course of time and can steward and add value and direction to a culture, to a community, to an environment. Does that make sense? As our, now, these things are not replacing one another. They're actually nested within each other. You don't, you're not a son who only thinks about yourself, then become a father who only thinks about everyone else, and then become a grandparent who only thinks about the wider culture and the wider value. These things are nested within each other. I learn how to value my needs. I learn how to value my needs and other people's needs. I learn how to value my needs, other people's needs, and the effect that this group of people and culture have on our past, on our future, and our present. Does that make sense? Um, I need to drink water after that one. And so let's walk through this, this growth process here and see for a second what, because 
the challenge of this word is to think like a father, to view the world as a father. I think a lot of us in the journey from being a son to becoming a father go through this season of being the older brother. And I think in this season that we're in right now, it is very important if we want to be successful as representatives of God's kingdom, that we begin to act and think like a father. And I think acting and thinking like an older son will actually be damaging to the people around us, as is evidenced by this story. Um, so what does it mean? What is a father concerned about? The older son is concerned about what is fair, what is right, and what is just. I believe that the father cares about those things as well. However, every action he takes is to reveal his nature towards his son. Does that make sense? One of the things that scared me as I started raising my kids is I realized that everything that you do as a father shows what kind of father you are. Yeah? If they are walking on the edge of a, if they're walking on the uh, edge of a, you know, a five-foot drop, let's say, I say, whoa, 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 back up. It's not wrong or right, but it shows that I'm scared of that. And what I say afterwards of explaining, you know, hey, you got to watch out for this, and any, any detail explained is less powerful than me showing how I experience this. Does that make sense? When the uh, Ming vase that I now have from my days of owning a Lamborghini and a tiger uh, gets uh, knocked over by one of my children, how I respond shows what kind of father I am, shows how they fit into this environment, shows... What they, how they should feel in this moment, yeah? When, when I, I, you know, how did you all stand up and I told you that you're mothers and fathers of the faith? That means a lot. That's not just a, a fun, like, cute thing. That's not just a measurement of time. I guarantee that there are people who look at you to understand what a Christian looks like. I guarantee that there are probably multiple people who you are what Christianity is to them. And so we are actively showing people who our father is. And if we think like older brothers, that's showing them how our father is. Now that's hard because what the younger brother did, I think is meant to be understood in this story as objectively wrong. Yeah, but the father's response to that is shocking and confusing, and the very uh, it, by the measure of what is right and wrong. Yeah, but this is the very thing that Jesus is responding to in this moment. There are Pharisees looking at the people Jesus is associating with, hanging out with, and they are saying, "Look at these kind of people he's hanging out with," and he is saying, "Let me show you what my heart is." Yeah. And so I just want to take a second here just to explore some of this. You know, um, Jesus was an amazing storyteller. So, uh, and these are very efficient, brief stories. And so every little bit of it is valuable and is, is important. Um, so when you see things like the younger brother practicing his speech before he goes, that's not just an arbitrary thing. That's part of the story. And so 
if you, uh, this is near verse 17 here, um, you know, said, I will, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he made his plan, and they have this part here where he prepares his speech. So we already know what he's going to say. Why would they have it twice? Because he starts to say that in the other one. That's, that's an inefficient storytelling, right? Well, there's a reason why. Because everything the father does reveals what kind of father he is. So again, we have all these things that are, uh, have been addressed by a lot of people who share this story. That, um, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. So the father was waiting for him to turn, was watching at a distance, was ready for him to come back. That is what kind of father he is. He ran to his son. He jumped out of the building, ran out of the thing, jumped out, landed in a hay bale and took off. We don't know exactly, but he immediately went and went running down the path to meet his son along the way. The son said to him, remember, prepared speech. I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But rather, the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe. We saw the speech beforehand to see that he did not get the whole speech out before the father interrupted him and affirmed his identity. The very moment that he said, I have sinned against heaven and against you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son, he immediately interrupts him with quick, get the robe, get the ring. This is an intentional uh, echo of that previous line to show you, no, the father interrupted him because everything that a father does shows what kind of father he is. Yeah? Yeah. It goes <clears throat> further. Again, you know, get the field, get the fatted calf. The fatted calf, that'd be like a thing you're saving for a special holiday. Uh, you know, some of you work with cows. You know how long it takes to get a cow to maturity. It does not take five minutes or a week. You have to, it takes time. They have to grow. They have to mature. They have to get to the exact right spot where they're just as uh, fatty and juicy as you want them to be. So they taste delicious. Um, <laughs> didn't expect an amen, but yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> the, and so that is like a, you know, it's like, you know, cracking open a bottle of champagne or something special that you've, that you've had sitting around. It's like, okay, that you can't just replace that immediately. It takes time to replace that. It's a, again, a statement of value. People have gotten into this before, this ring being a symbol of the family heritage or the family identity, the robe being his, his personal robe and some beautiful uh, statements there. Um, and so immediately music, you know, everything, and then the, the older brother sees this, and the older brother is offended, and he won't even, won't even come in, you know, because he's so offended. And honestly, by some measurements, fairly offended. He did work hard. Now, what does the father do? Does he say, ah, oh, you're being such a jerk, why don't you just stay out here? No, because everything a father does reveals who he is. And so even to this version of, of you know, unhealthy behavior, of, of wrong thinking, he responds instead with revealing his nature. He says, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Because again, he complains, you never even gave me a goat, you know. And this is, again, realizing that, oh man, this, the, even this son who had lived in this house did not have the realization of of what kind of father he was living with. He said, you know, you're always with me and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. He is giving a value system to this son. He's giving him a perspective, a way of responding when something this happens. 
And again, if I'm, if I'm being blunt, when I look at the way that most Christians respond to a prodigal nation, to prodigal people, to prodigal, prodigal cultures, I see a lot more older brother than I do fathers. It doesn't change the rightness or the wrongness of what the son did, but it shows how to think like a father in the middle of that moment. It shows what's important. It shows that more important than that person trying to make justification for what he had done was instead the acceptance that the father had for that person when they came running back. This is a challenging story, especially as a church leader who is responsible for stewarding a culture and building health in that culture. And of course, you know, there's numerous scriptures about uh, how being in relation with God is meant to lead your behavior and, and all those kinds of things. And so it doesn't diminish any of that. But at the same time, this is the nature, the response that we are shown to have to the world. Now, again, I don't have all the answers by any means of what, what, what about in this situation? What about in that situation? And again, I hear people sometimes talking about this saying, well, the son did come back. And so, you know, just desperate to make it that the son somehow earned this response in some sort of way, you know, then, okay, we don't have to respond that way to people if, if they're not coming back, which is not in the story anywhere, one way or the other. Does that make sense? I don't know how we're supposed to respond to people who are still on the run. I don't know, what, it doesn't say what the father did the day after he left. He didn't, it doesn't say what the father did during those moments. It only shows how he responded to him when he was back in his presence again. Does that, does that make sense? Older brothers are concerned about whether someone's a good enough son or not. Fathers think about how to reveal their nature. Fathers take the responsibility of recognizing that everything they do, everything reveals their nature and by extension, the nature of our heavenly father. Fathers, this is me extrapolating a bit, but fathers are able to engage with their weaknesses, with their deficits and with their failings, not out of performance, but recognizing that it is necessary to face those things so they can better represent their heavenly father to their sons and daughters. Yeah? Older brothers and younger brothers look at their deficits and think, I am bad and I need to fix this because I'm bad. Yeah? Fathers think in a higher level and think, I am creating a culture with my actions. I'm creating a belief system. I'm creating a perspective of the world. I'm creating a view of the world with what I do and what I say and how I say it. I wanted to point this out because if we view this um, responsibility through an older brother mentality, we'll go into performance, we'll go into perfectionism, we'll go into a lot of unhealthy things that will not get us the results that we're looking for. If instead we lean into being a son who has been transformed by a father and look to our father for how to respond as a father of the faith on the earth in 2023, then we can be challenged to be inspired by him rather than trying to perform to live up to what he does. Does that, does that make sense? 
And I wanted to say all that before I said the last part of this word, because this last part of this word is something that you could, if you take it through a performative lens, if you take it through an older brother lens, then it makes you wanna, it makes you wanna perform right away. It makes you wanna try to do it yourself. But instead, what I, what I feel is necessary, it, 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 well, I'll, I'll say it and then we can go from there. So again, I woke up in the middle of the night and heard this series of sentences. It is time to raise yourself up as mothers and fathers. If you do not want to be an enemy to God's purposes in your age, then you must learn to see the world as a father. I'm looking for people who will adopt a fatherless generation, but I will only give them to mothers and fathers who know how to love them like me. And again, if we hear that as an older brother, it's a performative standard. If we hear that as one father listening to the father, then we hear the compassion and the value he has for what's being passed along. Does that make sense? All those three parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, are about the value of what was lost, about a perspective that values what was lost. Because fathers see it all as immensely valuable. Does that make sense? A lot of us have been driven toward evangelism because you're responsible. Everyone, you know, all these people are going to hell. All these people are this. And you, if you don't, this is going to happen. That's going to happen. And, and while that's one way of looking at it, that is not the way that Jesus drove us toward that. He drove us towards that by declaring how valuable what was lost was. And that being the motivator for going out. Does that make sense? And, I, and I'm, uh, uh, thank you. Uh, I'm going to be a bit blunt. I think if we can look at it honestly at ourselves, it is, and again, don't beat yourself up that, but honestly, a lot of times we don't really have that high value for what was lost. We see it kind of as a keep up or shut up sort of thing, as a, like if you can't keep up with the line, if you can't keep up with what we're doing, then that, you know, that's, that's your problem. Or if you can't keep up with the standard, and there's exceptions in here. I know some of us have a, have a naturally compassionate and a heart in this way, but... It's, it's easy to look at someone who's lost and, and think of them as less valuable for any number of reasons. Even people who are doing great harm. Just, and that's fine, that's a normal emotion to have, that's not wrong, but it's not seeing the world as a father. Does that make sense? And again, I don't want you to correct that with your, with your effort and character. I want to use those moments as an opportunity to recognize that I need to be inspired by the Father. I need to be inspired by the Father. I wasn't ready to become a father when I became a father. There's no way to get ready to become a father. There's lots of books you can read. There's lots of wonderful people you can talk to. All that is great. But the only way to become a father is to become a father and walk it out step by step and have the humility to, to be able to face your inadequacies, your failings, and not view them as a son who needs to perform to be loved, but view them as someone who is already valued, <laughs> is already special, is already precious in the sight of God, and is not addressing those things so that we can earn love, but addressing those things so that we can be love. Does that make sense? you'd stand up real quick, I just want to pray for you guys.
again, I feel the inherent challenge, and it's of you know the Lord saying as I as I woke up, I will only give them to mothers and fathers who know how to love them like me. I, I knew that there was a bit of a crossroads there of like again, not one of performance, not if you're good enough, but hey, I'm only sending this to a home that's going to love them the way that I will. And I got the impression that that. Um, as I was picturing this in my mind after, after hearing this, of just the reality of how much God loves these people, whoever, any lost person you can think of, no matter how lost, no matter what kind of lost, no matter what flavor of lost, whether that's someone who's an atheist who's, who's actively you know, tearing down the, the gospel with their, with their intelligence and, and, and cleverness and, and all these things, to the politician who's uh, pushing uh, for uh, agendas that are, that are ungodly, to the, to the drug addict on the street, to the person selling that person drugs, to the person manufacturing those drugs, to the person who's uh, you know, uh, fi- making financial allowment for the, that entire system to exist from the top to the bottom, to the left to the right, right to every single one and all the ones that I couldn't possibly name that this endless love that he had for every single one that was lost and I feel that what the Lord is going to do over the next 10 years will not make sense to someone who is not viewing those people with that kind of love and that there will be a huge temptation to see something that God is doing as something that is not right. It will only look right if you see them the way that he sees them. If you are truly and genuinely motivated by love. I would just, just want to challenge us with one more thing. Of we're, we're told from the beginning of our Christianity that, that, that we are to love others, that we are to love our enemies. It's one of the most radical messages in the gospel. The, the, the level of love that is required, that is, that is asked for. Um, again, like our experience with parables, like our experience with some Bible stories that we've heard a lot of times, sometimes hearing that so many times can kind of numb us to the point where we adopt a very um, prepackaged, prefabricated blanket version of love of like, oh yeah, I love everybody, and then be incapable then of recognizing how our actions, what we are showing, is not loving whatsoever. Does that make sense? It's why the scripture tells us that if you, without love, you can speak in the tongues of, of men and of angels, but it's just a resounding gong. It doesn't matter how right you are, because there is a superior rightness that God wove into the fabric of his creation, because it is in him. And if you want to have influence in the upcoming generation, the standard of love is going to be very, very high. And if we cannot allow ourselves to be transformed by him, the Lord will, for our protection and their protection, take our influence away. And that would be for your protection and for their protection just as much. And to give you an opportunity to be transformed by that same love. Does that make sense? That's not something I heard God say. That's just my opinion, but I, I think it's true. <laughs> so if you would just put your hand on your heart again. 
Lord, we recognize that we, every, that we, all of us, are mothers and fathers. We recognize that we are all in different stages of our walk with Jesus. Some of us have had a beautiful life, uh, sometimes multiple lifetimes for, for, compared to some of us, long walk with the Lord. And we honor that the authority on those people's lives. We honor the longevity that's on those people's lives. And we honor the, the, how, how much we have to glean from what's on those, those individuals' lives. But we also recognize that the moment that we step into your kingdom, that we step into an inheritance, and that whether we've been walking with you a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, or more, that we are mothers and fathers of this faith. We are mothers and fathers in this kingdom. And we ask, Lord, in this time, help us think like mothers and fathers. Help us see the world as mothers and fathers. Help us recognize the, the responses we have that come from that little brother place of just wanting our needs protected and, and our and what we want in our life, what we want right now. Help us recognize our responses that come from that older brother place of, well, I do it right, so why can't you? And this is what's right, and this is what's wrong, and why can't you live up to this? And instead, not eliminate those things, but encapsulate them one in another, an acknowledgement of our own needs, an acknowledgement of, of the needs of those around us and what is healthy for those around us, but also even further than that, a perspective that sees how what we do and how we act affects culture. I just lay a healthy responsibility on every single heart, that a healthy realization that everything that we do shows what kind of father and what kind of mother we are. That if that, and if that scares you, if that makes you afraid, then all you have to do is look at his eyes and he will eliminate that need for performance, that need for perfection, that need for uh, being competent enough to, to act correctly. That instead, we, we don't respond out of our own competence, but we respond out of imitating who you are, following who you are, seeing you and becoming like you. So I just bless every heart in this place to grow into maturity, to grow into fatherhood and motherhood, to begin to see the lost different, to get to see themselves differently, to get to see their brothers and sisters differently, and begin to measure everything, including themselves, from this heavenly perspective. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.